welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, the Ring of Desire, <laughs> Dr. Desire. Oh my gosh. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. Oh my God. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Pep. <laughs> it's good to see you again, my friend. Yeah. I, yeah, it's usually the case. <laughs> nine times out of 10. Can I get a nine times yeah. out of 10? I'll uh, take yeah, it. Yeah. Most yeah. people don't have those odds in my favor like that. I, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take like, it. My shtick wears people down pretty quickly. I'm I'm well aware. You mean you mean the stick with which you beat me? Or it's not <laughs> no not <laughs> not like, stick shtick. It's a completely <laughs> different word. It, yeah, it, yes. it's it's stick. It's it's stick with a lisp coming from the back of your throat. <laughs> that's exactly right. We've talked about that in the past. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You have. Okay. We are here in episode four of season eight of the Being Known podcast. We are putting ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty. And mm. today we are talking about as beauty makes sense of us. I love that title. Hmm. Yeah, I had, it's, it's funny. We've talked so far about, you know, us being the active party. I'm going to put myself in the path of oncoming beauty. Right whether that is a practice of encountering something in nature or artistic on a regular cadenced basis. If I'm going to then, you know, prepare myself to look for beauty in the places where I might least expect to find or allowing others to look for it in me, especially in those places where my trauma lives, but we don't often necessarily think of, uh, like, uh, you know, I, I look at a painting and then we say, well, tell me what that's like for you. You ask me, what, what do I feel? Not even like what I think of it, although we could ask that question, but what, what is that like for me? And I'm, and I'm the one who's answering the question. What is it like, but what does it mean for beauty to actually make sense of us? What is it like for me to have the experience of having an encounter with beauty and that beauty doing something within me that reveals something to me about me. I think about the story that you tell of the walk that you went on in your, near your home and you find yourself on the bridge. Yes. Yeah. And the heron. Yes. After, you know, you know, this is with the poetry of Wendell Berry mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. And then you have this encounter. And I'm wondering if you could just, just for a minute, just replay that real quickly for us. Yeah, I'd love to. It was, it was uh, during the COVID pandemic and I had decided to take Wendell Berry's poem, The Piece of Wild Things, and put it to memory mm -hmm. because the poem really speaks to me and especially in that time really, you know, resonated with me. And, um, and I wanted to have access to it like all the time. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have mm -hmm. to read it. I didn't want, you know, I wanted to be able to pull it from my mind and, and embody it and feel it. And so mm -hmm. I went on these walks because what else did you do during COVID, but go on walks. Mm -hmm. So I went on these walks and while I was on these walks, I was memorizing the poem. I, I was mm -hmm. going through it. I would start with it. You know, I, I had to pull it up on my phone and I would look at it and read it and read it and read it and memorize it. And and this was towards the end of the, pro towards the process where I was really getting really close to 
to having the whole thing memorized. And mm -hmm. my walk, the end of my walk takes me through a park and to the crest of this wooden bridge that sits over the South Fork of Gunpowder Creek. And Wendelberry in his poem talks about going to the place where the great heron feeds, where the wood drake rests in its beauty and the great, great heron feeds. And, and as I'm saying those words, I look down to my left down the creek as I'm, 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 I was accustomed to doing, I would go there, usually take a picture of the creek because it was ever changing in each direction. And as I was looking to my left down the, the direction the creek was flowing, I saw something moving and I realized that I was watching a great heron feeding. And between the great heron and myself, there was something swimming in the water. And although it wasn't a wood drake, it was this beautiful mallard who, just as I was realizing what it was, took flight and came right towards me to the point oh that as it flew, God. as it flew over me, I could hear the wind of its wings rushing, <sighs> rushing past. And I turned and watched it fly down the other direction of the creek and around the bend. And to say that I had, my body was covered in goosebumps and mm. I was just, mm. I was literally embodying what was happening there. It mm. was, mm. it was an incredible moment. Mm. I couldn't. And, and then the, my first thing was like, I can't wait to tell Kurt and Amy about this, mm. Mm. you know, mm. because they, mm. you guys knew that I was working with this poem and, and yeah, so it was, it was quite a moment. It was quite a moment. So, so you've, you've just described the moment. I'm wondering, can you say more about as, as time has passed, mm -hmm. whether it was in the, in the immediacy, just following that moment, in what way would you say that having experienced that, uh, in what way would you say that, that what did then and has since shaped what you are thinking about anything else? That's a great question. I think that having that experience, first of all, it, the feeling of it was incredible, right? It was, mm. it was, mm. it was, mm. it was a, a real euphoric kind of moment. Mm. And it really, it also solidified. It was like, it was like a branding of those words mm. to my, to my core. So, mm. so mm. that the poem when it talks about when I wake in despair at the least sound and he's talking about worrying about his children's lives and what, what they may be in my own life and then going to this place and finding the piece of wild things, there was a, a relief of my anxiety that happened, mm. I would say mm. through mm. that process. And this just was like the soldering of that to me in a lot of ways. Mm. Mm. Um, and then, mm. you know, I, I think it also inspired me to, to keep seeking beauty, to keep paying attention mm -hmm. to what I'm paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. because I was given that moment mm -hmm. and then I was able to share that moment with you. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was a real sort of encouragement to the work of chasing beauty and mm. putting myself mm. in the path of it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, this, this, I mean, I, I, I just feel like this is a great jumping off story mm -hmm. for us as we 
consider this notion that beauty becomes an integrator of our minds, of our of our souls, mm-hmm. that we don't just create beauty, but when we encounter it, beauty, uh, as von Balthasar would say, a uh, Catholic theologian would say that beauty and our sensory experience of it is the leading edge of our encounter with God. Mm. That goodness is the quality of that which beauty is, mm-hmm. and truth is how we make sense of the things that we have first encountered. Which is interesting because that's kind of how the brain works. We've said bottom to top and right to left. First we sense, and then we make sense of what we sense. And beauty enables us, our encounters that draw our minds into becoming more than what they are. I think you had that experience, and then you decide, you commit to doing something. You begin to practice imagining something. You begin to practice looking for something in a particular way. We've talked about how we can encounter beauty in in terms of like the intention that we, like you, you went for the walk, you chose to pause and look down the creek and then follow the mallard. You chose to, you're a participant in that. Mm-hmm. And you're also a recipient of what it's offering to you. And then you're changed mm-hmm. by that. And this is what we would say God wants to do with all of our trauma. God wants us to be open to beauty. Now, of course, to be open to it is a vulnerable act. Now that we are where we are in relationship to COVID, we're back at hard-paced schedules yeah. and you know we're we're not taking lots of walks you know crossing the creek as as easily as we did we have to work we have to, to work. do we have to work to do that yeah. but in so doing we give our bodies an opportunity to do what they were made to do this notion that we first encounter the world through our right hemisphere in many respects this sense that i am sensing things what the right hemisphere of my brain does it senses it images it feels it gives me a holistic experience. It gives me the experience of nonverbal communication. All that was happening for you on that bridge, both the sound and the f- sensation and so forth. It gives us an integrated map of the body. My right hemisphere does. And then it also provides this posture of withness. Mm-hmm. I have the sense that I'm I'm with mm-hmm. this, this moment, this experience. I'm not distant from it, analyzing it. I am with it. But soon that experience crosses the corpus callosum, that strip of tissue in between the right and the left hemisphere of our brain. And it moves to the left hemisphere where our process of linear and logic and language takes place. My literal sense of the word that I can say, oh, that is a mallard. I can say that. I can identify that from the distance. Mm -hmm. It also gives me a posture of being apart from things, which I need to be able to do. I want to be able to, for this reason, when you have the experience, then you reflect upon it. And I reflect upon, oh, now now I'm, 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 I'm distancing myself from it just a bit to see it. And then to decide, oh my gosh, I want to do this again. I want to practice putting myself in a position in which this can repeat itself over and over and over again. 
You know, last week we talked a little bit about this work I'm trying to do at forgiveness. Yeah. And as I am entering into it, I'm aware that I have an experience of being with Jesus and being with another person. And that experience is transforming my relationship to the other person. And I have that experience, but then I actually complete that particular time that might take a few minutes. And then I reflect on, oh, what just happened? And then I think, oh, this is what's happened. And then this is what I want to do again and again and again. Now I have a choice of reflecting on what just happened and thinking, I want to do that again. Or something else can come up at another time of the day in which I'm actually easily tempted to go revisit the old pathway of holding a grudge and of being angry. I can do that. It, you know, as we said last week, it's not just a matter of like, oh, once I forgive him, it's all done and I never have to worry about being tempted to go back to my old. No, I have to walk in the way of forgiveness and allow that forgiveness to do its work in me. So it does something to me to allow myself to be in that space, but it requires my willingness to analyze it enough to say, oh my gosh, this is a good thing. Now I'm going to practice doing this. And in this way, beauty starts to make sense of me. Mm. Meaning now that I am a couple of weeks into this, more than a couple of weeks into this work of forgiveness, for example, I'm recognizing that I am imagining these relationships uh, in in ways that are literally beautiful mm. and the p- possibility for hopefulness, the possibility of uh, imagining being with this these people in a room and looking forward to being in that space. Now, I don't mean all of them because, you know, I'm, I'm still working on right. stuff that has to do with the parts of me that have told a story and have felt hurt and so forth. It's not actually about them. It's actually about the part of me Mm -hmm. that I'm having to really work on and work through. But what that means is that in, in allowing myself to sit with beauty in that way, it is making sense of me. Right. I'm not the one who's in the driver's seat. Yeah. And so, you know, this reminds me of this, you know, we, we've talked about this on other occasions, this, this, you know, the very first time I had an encounter with a Mark Rothko painting and I'm sitting there for, you know, 20 minutes or more. And, you know, first you start to, you're like, okay, it's three bands of color. So what? You pause long enough, then you start to see, oh, there's a lot more going on here than just three bands of color. And then I had this very strange moment where I was, things were starting to be evoked in me, feelings, Mm -hmm. layers of things within me. And, you know, this sense that, oh my gosh, like the, like I'm being seen by the, by the painting, right? The painting is just making itself available. And in so doing it's, uh, you know, however we would kind of metaphysically talk about that, whatever's going on in the room, it's the work of the spirit. It's something is happening, which I would say, God was using an artifact of beauty to get to me. Yeah. In ways that no kind of intellectual manner of exploring would be able to. Like it circumvents my left hemisphere 
and you know, you, you, I find myself sensing and feeling things like it is trying to help me come to an awareness of me. And this is not unlike what happens. We see this with patients, uh, not uncommonly when, you know, you sit with a patient and a patient, if they're willing to allow you to gaze upon them, they start to feel things. And I'm not, you know, you're not gazing, you're not staring at them, you're not boring into them. You're just simply gazing upon them with loving kindness. And we have that experience of being gazed upon with loving kindness so infrequently. And we tell such encased in concrete stories that to be gazed upon is to be devoured that when we allow ourselves to be seen by beauty, uh, it first can feel dis, you know, disruptive. Uh, it's overwhelming. It's, it's, all, it's not necessarily always a beautiful thing because if I allow myself to be seen, if I allow myself to be in the presence of beauty on its terms, and not just on mine, right? I'm going to go look at a sunset and I know what time I'm going. I know where I'm going to perch myself. I know how I'm going to be there. I'm in charge of this whole thing. The sun just needs to do its thing for me and then I'll feel what I'm going to feel and then I'm going to go. But like, I'm in charge. But that's not what happened to you on the creek. Right. And so the question for us is, in what ways will we allow the beauty of the world, the created world, mm -hmm. like the naturally created world, the beauty of... We talked about last week, architecture, like the humanly created world. We're going to get to some of that in just a moment. Mm -hmm. How are we able to allow beauty to be something that integrates my mind? It draws my left and my right hemisphere together in ways that me just thinking, thinking, thinking all the time doesn't ever accomplish. I want to sort out my life. I want to solve my problems. I like what in, in, in the soul of desire, you know, the opening story is of a, of a man who I invited to just go be, pre you know, we tried all the things and I invited him to go be present with Rembrandt's return of the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. He's like, like, this is like Naaman and Elisha, right? The, the you know, the, the general of the Assyrian King. He's like, and Elisha says, yeah, go dunk in the Jordan seven times. I'm not even going to see you go dunk. Just go be with, be with the river. Right. He's like, what the heck? Like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. And so our doing this allows beauty to actually draw our mind together. My right coming to my left, my left actually making a different kind of sense, telling a different story, being open to other ways of understanding my past and my future. You know, you all may have heard Pepper and I took a trip to El Salvador. And we have so much to share with you. In fact, in a future episode this season, Amy will interview Pepper and me about our trip. Pep, you remember Vanessa, the mother of the two little babies? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, we went to her house. Vanessa is a mother of four, two of which are twin babies. You know, we witnessed Vanessa and her husband going to great, and I, I mean great lengths to provide for their family. And the thing that I realized, you know, in the moment is they have the very same dreams and hopes for their kids as we have for ours. And what we discovered was that with the support of a compassion sponsorship, it's possible for those dreams to be realized. You know, Phyllis and I have supported Compassion International for years, and we're so aware of the amazing work that they do. 
And one of the unique features about Compassion is that they work with the local church. And what I love about this is that when help arrives, it arrives with a familiar face. We witnessed this impact firsthand in the way families experienced feeling seen, soothed, safe, and secure. You know, we saw the need firsthand in El Salvador. Consequently, we are centering our efforts there. However, should you feel a call to sponsor a child in another part of the world, you'll have that option as well. We as a community get to be part of this mission. We invite you to join us by sponsoring a child. $43 a month provides a child with all their basic needs and hope for a brighter future. Go to Compassion.com forward slash known. That's C-O-M-P-A-S-S-I-O-N dot C-O-M forward slash K-N-O-W-N. And remember, $43 a month will literally change a child's life. Join us. And so this, we, we get back to this thing that we are talking about throughout the course of our time, these three W's, four W's and three R's, this sense of like, we're going to be, you know, that beauty is, is a matter of wonder that welcomes us to worship and worship, not just because God is insecure and demands it of us, but because when we're in the presence of beauty in our own vulnerable states, worship is what we're naturally drawn to, but it requires work. I love coming back to that, that word that you, that you added to that list, that it requires work for us to do this. It requires work for me to Sabbath. Yeah, for sure. For sure. In order to allow beauty to integrate me, to draw my left and my right hemisphere, my middle prefrontal cortex and my brainstem together such that I can be at rest, I can be at peace, like the peace of wild things. So that I can have things be revealed, this, these three are to be revealed, then to be regenerated and healed, and to be recommissioned. So that whole notion of you have that encounter, and then you recommission, you commission yourself, I'm, I'm going to now do this more frequently, which means I'm going to practice allowing my story to be told differently than I've been telling it up to this point. But, you know, it requires work, it requires effort on our part to make a practice of allowing ourselves to be in the path of oncoming beauty. Well, and you mentioned that, you know, when this happened was in the, in the, that particular story happened in the middle of COVID. And now I'm back in the midst of, you know, like we all are back in the midst of just grinding it out and so busy with work. So it requires more work for me. Um, Yeah to carve out the time. It's interesting because I don't know if I shared with you that, that so, so my Jeep is broken and it, it may be irreparable. I'm going Monday to, to meet with the guy. The frame broke. I mean, literally broke. And so, but I've been in the midst of travel for three weeks and this happened like right, right before that travel started. Yeah. And so I have yet to be able to even get anything going. So I, when I'm, I'm home now, I've been home now for a few days and I'm stuck home. Like I work, I don't have a car. Like I don't have, so my wife takes her car to work and my daughter goes to school and I'm all this to say it is, guess where I was yesterday with my dog on the bridge, Dude. you know, because, mm. and, and so there's, there's something about, I don't know. 
in in my life, there's something about I almost have to be forced to keep these good habits. I almost have to yeah. be, and, and as as and they are good habits. I I I feel I reap the benefits of them, and yet, you know, and it almost takes a broke you know a broken down car or COVID mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. something that mm-hmm. forces me to stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that I can give myself what I, what I look at as the luxury mm-hmm. of taking a walk. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. It's a confession. I mean, I, 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 I yeah. you know, yeah. and, and it, it, it makes such a huge difference in my life when I do it. And when I have these habits and, and then, yeah. Yeah. I want to just real quickly, there's a, a real brief story I want to tell. There is a young woman, her name is Ruby LaRocca, and she is a high school student, and she won a prize for an essay that she wrote on the Constitution for Teenage Happiness. Okay. And it is a beautiful essay, and in it, she talks about how for her generation, for them to come to know comfort and confidence and peacefulness and integrity, she's encouraging them to get this, read great books and memorize poetry. Yeah. Right. And, and we, and, 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 and the, the essay is, is beautiful. And it's coming from a, I think like a 17 year old, 16 or 17 year old who is saying to her generation, uh, like we all do, you know, it's, it's kind of like when patients come to see me without knowing it, they, 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 they come in and they are symptomatic and they're symptomatic because of how they've been living their life. Yeah. They don't think necessarily that they're symptomatic because of how they're living. They think they're just symptomatic, kind of like somehow I, I picked up these symptoms. I have panic and distress. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm this, I'm that, whatever, right? And what they, without knowing it always, what they are, you, what they are often asking for is they want a reduction and then elimination of their symptoms, but they don't want to change the way they're living their life. Right. They don't know this, that they're, they're not consciously aware of this. Yeah. And so, what Ruby is offering us is to say, uh, as opposed to like, I come in and, and what you'll see is that as the, the moment that we start to have a conversation with my patients about like what we're, what's happening in their lives and what are some things that we're going to do differently about these kinds of things. What you find is that they want to, they're, they're, how Kurt can I continue to apply the tactics I'm currently using in my life to now reduce my symptoms in my life? And I'm like, yeah, that's, that, this is, this is the issue including the stories that you are telling about yourself in your life. You're not aware that you're going to have to give those up, but we don't give them up by just magically doing something that we call giving them up. We give them up by actually beginning to tell other stories and the way that we do it for which Ruby is suggesting to her teenage generation is we, we live life differently. I'm going to submit myself. I'm going to surrender myself to memorizing poetry. Well, gosh, that's going to take time. Yeah. Well, but I, but I've got things on my, on my phone that I'm scrolling. Yeah. That you're not going to be able to do that. There, it's going to cost you something. Beauty always costs us something. But the thing that it costs us ultimately is our anxiety and our depression and our distress yeah. and my terror and my shame. That's what it costs me ultimately. Yeah. 
And so it takes a lot of effort to not let the world squeeze us into its mold, but to allow beauty to have its way with us. And it takes work for us frequently to be present with beauty in a way that is not just on our terms. And uh, we can have these kinds of encounters with nature. Last week, you know, the, the you know encounters with architecture. But this week, we're talking about how can we allow beauty to make sense of us by our submitting ourselves to something, even if it at first glance is not exactly what I might want it to be. Yes, yes, which takes us to our artistic offering of this week, which is Dave Brubeck's Take Five. You know, let me start by saying that when I was at university, Xavier University, they had a public radio station, WVXU, and I guess my sophomore year, well, I kind of, st- anyway, yeah, my first year there, I got a, a spot on the radio, a, a coveted spot on Friday mm-hmm. afternoons. And, mm-hmm. and we started off as the format was oldies and, it, and we were, you were responsible to basically program your own show. So I, I was on for a few hours in the, in the late afternoon and would go get there early enough and select all the music that I was going to play and everything. And, um, Starting in my second year, they came in and they changed the format and they came in and told me we were switching, we were now switching to jazz. And, um, <laughs> you know, you, you might as well have, I don't know, you, it, it was not something that I was familiar with. I hadn't really been exposed to jazz in any way. And I just thought, you know, oh, I got to program this. I got to figure this out. So I started off really, I, I would say softly. You know, really soft jazz, a lot of fusion kind of stuff like uh, Spirogyra, Yellow Jackets, you know, Jaco Pastorius on bass. And it was because that was a little more familiar to the kind of music that, that I was familiar with. So one of the older guys that, you know, everybody wasn't a student that was on the radio. So, so one of the older guys that was there that was a huge jazz guy. He started, you know, trying to get me to go out with him to hear live jazz. And so we'd go up to the Blind Lemon and we'd go, you know, different spots and we would hear jazz. And I'm like, man, I'm, 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 it took a while, but I'm, I'm really starting to get this. What, what this whole straight ahead jazz is with improvisation. And, and, you know, I loved uh, Ray Brown trio, Miles Davis, Charlie Parker. And, you know, to the point that I, uh, and, and I, I had a, a class that was philosophy of art and beauty. And in that class, the final paper, I decided to do a comparing and contrasting of impressionist art with experimental in, improvisational jazz. And, mm. and so I, I really kind of took a deep dive into this at the time. And the reason why, and I mentioned this last week, but the reason why I chose Dave Brubeck's Take 5 was... I believe it's a real bridge to a lot of music, a whole genre of music that I think people could love Mm. if they give Mm. it a chance. Mm. Um, Mm. Because I think that jazz Mm. can be a little bit intimidating as an art Mm. form, Um, especially Mm -hmm. if you're, Mm -hmm. if you're, if you take a deep dive, like, like right away into it, it doesn't make, can sometimes some of it can, doesn't make a lot of sense. And, Mm. you know, it sounds so different than what we're used to hearing and those kind of things. Anyway, Dave Brubeck's Take Five was actually written by Paul Desmond, who was his saxophone player. 
the story goes that Brubeck challenged Desmond to write a song that was written in an unusual meter, a 5-4 meter. Now, I'm going to be speaking at the, again, very edge of my intelligence here because, because I'm, not a, I'm not a music major. Um, I have very little music talent. I can appreciate music. That's about as far as it goes. But, uh, the, the, and you can dance. If I want to. Um, so, so the five normal music, the, the, most of the music back at, at that time and most music today is in a four, four meter, four beats per mm-hmm. measure, or, mm-hmm. you know, some waltzes, which are in like a, a, a three beats per meter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's going to write this song in a five, four meter, right? So the five, four meter, he wrote to a certain point And then he basically said, I can't. I can't take it any further. It's just not, it's just not working. And Brubeck was like, well, you've got two, two songs. So you've got two melodies here. Let's make it work. Let's make it work. So they, they figured it out. And what they did was they take this unusual five, four meter. And on top of that, they lay this, this blues kind of tempo on top mm-hmm. of it that, that we're more used to hearing. And then mm-hmm. underneath it, you've got this, this other thing. And they come together in what some people have called the greatest jazz composition of all time. I mean, it's, it's a, Mm. I, I think even our listeners that, that maybe jazz isn't their thing. I think they will even maybe there's, there's a familiarity to it because it's been recorded by so many different people and so many different times. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, we'll put a a link to this YouTube video in the show notes. There is a Mm. recording of this song that is incredible. I mean, it's, it's filmed. First of all, it's not video. It's filmed. It's back in the day. It's black and white. And it's all these guys that basically look like accountants, you know, playing their instruments, <laughs> instruments, and, but they've allowed within the composition, they allow improvisation. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you see these guys looking at each other as the, you know, as one guy's going on, you know, is, is playing the sax say, and, and he's, he's going off on his improv. The rest of them are looking and, there's almost a, what appears to be almost like a sternness to them, but, but you know what they're doing is like, they're like taking it in and listening because they know that they want to, they want to get, they want to add their and to it. They want to add their, mm-hmm. you know, yes, yes, yes. And mm-hmm. up to the improvisation mm-hmm. and staying within the melody mm-hmm. and everything. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just beautiful to watch that, mm-hmm. that integration, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, so I think, you know, a little bit of an interesting, interesting fact about Brubeck is he, his parents wanted him to be a doctor. He was sitting in a chemistry class and he's, he's looking out the window, watching all the, the students going into the conservatory, staring at him. And the, the professor's like, finally looks at him and says, go change your major. You're in the wrong place. And so mm-hmm. he did. And, and that's, that's how we've been blessed with, with Dave Brubeck and all of his great music. And this one is definitely mm-hmm. at the top I think I would encourage people to, if, if you, so, so I, I shared last week that I, one of the things that I did with this song was I put it in my ear, earbuds and I took a walk and the whole time I was walking, I listened to it kind of over and over again and let it, it and it was so interesting the way that it became sort of the soundtrack of everything that I, that was happening to me on that walk. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it, it was a, it was almost like a, an immersion, right. Mm-hmm. An immersion mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. the, the nature that was around me with the, with the music that was playing and, 
Um, and so if you, if you listen to this song and if you find it, give it more than one listen. And hopefully you, mm-hmm. you, you, you had, some of you had the opportunity to do it last week, but give it more than one listen. And, uh, I, I think it has a potential to open up doors to other, mm-hmm. uh, music that you may have not, have may not have been part of your over. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, man, I, first of all, thank you so much for drawing my and Amy's attention to this. It's been, it's been really fabulous to have this experience of just putting it on a loop, yeah, listening to it and discovering what starts to emerge as you sense like, oh my gosh, no, here's another, here's another experience of beauty making sense of me by pulling things out of me that you don't know, you don't know yeah. about. Yeah. I think that another reason that this is really meaningful is I think in many respects, Pep, this piece, you know, you, at, at first you start to listen to it and, and you're thinking like, okay, whatever, whatever. It's just, it seems kind of rather bland and it doesn't seem, but it, like you said, like watching the video yeah, and watching the expectant movement, like people right. watching each other and these subtle changes, it's not like they stop and say, okay, now Sam, you take over. No, th- there's this fluid movement from one to the next it's integrated integration at its finest i mean dude yeah i mean those guys when musicians can do that first of all it comes from playing together over and over and over again it's you know there are those you know charlie parker could come and sit in with anybody and improvise you know but that integrated state that those guys are in in that video to me is, is really a great example of the work that, you know, that, that you do and that we're trying to do here on the podcast. And in, in many respects, these are, like you said, these, these are guys who like you, you listen to jazz and you think, oh, it's like, I don't really, maybe I don't understand it. Maybe it's kind of hard to make sense of and so forth. You don't have the sense that these guys have like practiced for hours and hours and oh. hours and hours at a craft that actually has a number of fundamental rules but those rule, those fundamental ways of living according to the way that jazz is to operate, then is what gives you the freedom to do what these guys are doing, but not without a lot of work. That's that fourth W yeah. that we talk about yeah. when it comes to beauty. This, this, And just to say that many of our lives contain things that can feel like, I, I don't understand it. I, I, I'm too overwhelmed to figure that out. Kind of like what it would be like approaching jazz. I don't really get that. I can't really, you know, unless you're willing to allow yourself to put it in your earbuds yeah, and put it on a loop and say, look, to allow beauty to help me make sense of me is going to take lots of repetition. It's going to take lots of me telling my story. It's not going to happen in one telling of my story. I may have the life in which my, my, you know, we have said on this podcast before, we've told stories of people who, you know, they grew up in families and those families are still around. Families who even as we are, you know, adults in our 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, we have parents who continue to behave badly. Yeah. We have old parts of our stories that continue to be generated and we are going to continue to have to work at this. And what the, the, the good news of the gospel is that if we allow beauty, if we allow ourselves to be in its path, it will not just be something that we make sense of, but something that enables us 
to be made so it makes sense of us, especially when we do so in the presence of community, which is, you know, your your reflections and research on this pep like give all of our listeners an opportunity to be invited into this space. Um, it gives everybody an opportunity for growth that uh, heretofore they didn't know was possible. That's, so thanks so much. This has been great. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. This has been great. Love you. And uh, I have a couple more thoughts on this. We'll save them for the post show with Amy. And if you're uh, on YouTube, you'll be able to join us. Are we going to, are we, are we making our uh, recommendation for people? To oh, yes, follow? we yeah. are. For, yeah. Thank you for yeah. the reminder. Yes. So yeah. we're going to delve into the cinema this next week. Yeah. And yeah. Um, full disclosure, one of my favorite movies of all time. Me too. Um, yeah. Dumbo. No. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time <laughs> is The Shawshank Redemption. And mm. I would love for you, if you have the opportunity to watch it this week, because we're going to talk about it next week. This is a powerful, beautiful film. And it has, there's just so much in it. There's so much mm. in it. And, um, mm. And I'm excited to talk about it next week. Mm, right on. Thanks for that reminder. Yeah. All right. See ya. All righty. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well. Be known.